Spring turkey season is upon us, and don't be caught out in the woods without having Onyx Hunt on your phone. One feature Onyx has that is often overlooked for turkey hunting is their recent imagery filter with their elite memberships. This imagery is updated week to week, and it comes in extremely handy, especially when you're trying to find these gobble zones where these turkeys will go out in a high spot on a fresh clear cut and strut around all day long. Actually, I was just looking at on Onyx where, where the timber company just came into Andrew's club and did a very small clear cut along this creek, and I can see the high spots on the topographical map, but also I can see exactly where they mulch, and those are going to be hot spots for finding gobblers, especially mid-morning after they get off their hens, getting up on these little high spots in this fresh, small clear cut along the creek and strutting and gobbling all day long. If you want to give Onyx a try, you can actually download it for free, try it for seven days, and if you decide to purchase, you can use the promo code SOUTHERN and save on your premium and elite memberships. So go into this turkey season, know where you stand with Onyx. Look, y'all know we harp on it a lot. You need a good pair of binos. Yeah, I never hunted with binos until I was almost into my 20s. I never did it when I was a teenager or anything like that. Or when I was a kid, we never had binos. And when I bought my first pair of Vortex binos, the first binos I ever purchased back in like 2015, it immediately made a huge difference for me, especially in the turkey woods. So give yourself the advantage of a good pair of binos this spring, whether you're looking for more of like an entry-level bino like the Vortex Diamondbacks or something really, really nice like the Razors. Vortex is going to have something for you. And hey, don't pay full price for it. Use our discount code at eurooptic.com. Use the code SGN10 to get a discount on any Vortex optics that you want to order. Again, that's eurooptic.com, code SGN10 to go get a discount on any Vortex product you order. If you live in the Gulf Coast region, you need to find yourself at the EcoWild Expo May 10th through the 12th in Mobile. It is the premier outdoor expo for the Gulf Coast region, and we're going to be there. We're going to have a booth. We're super excited about it. Can't wait to meet you guys that live down there. We absolutely love the Gulf Coast region, so to be a part of this show, we're super excited about. We're going to have past podcast guests there at our booth for you to talk to, guys who are relevant for your area, who you can talk to, you can pick their brain, you can joke with them, laugh with them, tell them your story, whatever you want to do. It's going to be a awesome time. We're already working on some past podcast guests, but hey, if you live in this area and you have a suggestion for someone you want to see at that show, write in and we'll see if we can get them. There's going to be all kinds of exhibitors at the show that are focused on hunting, fishing, conservation, and recreation. There's going to be activities for the whole family there. They got axe throwing, archery. They're going to have our podcast booth. And then for the kids, they got touch tanks, a honeybee exhibition, a raptor show, kids fishing tank, BB gun range, and a butterfly house. So you're going to love it. Your kids are going to love it. It's going to be an awesome time. So head on over to ecowildexpo.com to get more information on the show and to go ahead and grab your tickets. And hey, mark it on your calendar, May 10th through the 12th. Be there. We want to see you and we're excited to talk to you. So we'll see you at the EcoWild Expo this May 10th through the 12th at the Mobile Convention Center in Mobile, Alabama. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time, the Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of the Southern Outdoorsman Podcast. Got a lot to cover today. Jack and Killbuck. So I'm not going to ask how you're doing. You're doing pretty good, huh? Doing pretty good. <laughs> we, we, need, we need the clap emoji. Which one's the clap one? 
It's not an emoji. It's a soundboard. It's not gonna. It's not. It's not gonna show up on the thing. Oh damn. <laughs> so, anyways. Well, why say emoji? That's weird. Yeah. I don't know. Cause soundboard. You're, you're a weirdo. Yep. Uh, so yeah, Jacob, you killed a buck. Um, we got a lot to talk about on this episode. Obviously, we're gonna talk about the buck that Jacob shot, but also we're gonna talk about uh, some listener questions that were written in. Uh, we do those at the end of these podcasts. So. If you want to skip ahead to the listener questions and you just do not care about anything that Jacob did with this buck, uh, you can skip ahead to those. You can go look in the show notes for the uh, for the uh, description, um, and we'll have the timestamps down. And there. make you sure you're watching this video. Make sure you're watching the video version of this podcast, guys, on YouTube. Okay, it's a lot more fun. Yeah, you know we can. Yeah, we'll cut in. We're cutting in pictures of the buck, obviously, so oh, people okay. can see what the buck looks like uh, on our YouTube channel. So uh, yeah, y'all go check that out. But anyways, uh, so yeah, we're gonna do listener questions at the end of this. So be sure to stick around for that. Anyways, uh, Jacob, let's go over this hunt. Oh, we ain't gonna talk about Catman. Oh yeah, Catman. <laughs> Man, I'm sorry. Sorry, Catman. Yeah, I'll, I'll drop the bone. So uh, <laughs> this week's episode, before I'm just too Andrew, excited. Yeah, before Andrew jumps ahead. Um, so we interviewed our buddy Jonathan Bone from Catman Outdoors. A lot of people know him as Catman uh, from YouTube, and he's a guy who is consistently kills just a ton of deer. He yeah. donates a ton of his deer uh, for Hunters of the Hungry in Tennessee, but every year he kills. It seems ten plus deer a year, yeah. On average, a lot of them bow kills. He'll kill, you know, quite a few during rifle season, muzzleloader season as well. Um, and he lives in a part of Tennessee where you can kill, if I remember right, you can kill three does a day for the whole season from like September like twenty sixth to like January like the first. Yep. You kill three does a day. Yep. Um, and when we were talking about discussing doing an episode on the topic of just like, how do you get consistent at just getting on and killing deer? If your goal isn't necessarily say you're new starting out and you're like, man, I'd love to kill a big buck, but I haven't killed my first deer yet. Or I haven't really killed a deer with my bow, or I haven't really had much just hunting experience in general. I'm just trying to have some experience and, you know, have some success just killing, you know, whether it's a, a buck, any kind of buck or a doe. Um, you know, I think Jonathan's a great guy to talk to about this topic just because he's so experienced and he's such a good woodsman. Um, and he's really able to kind of simplify this, a lot of this stuff. You know, yep. one thing about Jonathan and his hunting style, he really doesn't try to overcomplicate anything. Like he keeps it very, very streamlined on how he hunts. And he really came across that during the episode as well, which I thought was really good. Yeah. Um, but Andrew, what was like some of your takeaways kind of early on with the episode and just the overall discussion of getting on and finding how to have success just killing deer in general? Yeah, I'm glad we did the episode because we get a lot of requests for that subject, actually. Mm-hmm. I mean, we get a lot of people that write in and they're like, hey, can you just do an episode on like how to go kill does? I mean, we all want to go kill big bucks, obviously, but... We also all want to be able to go get on deer consistently, and uh, I think that's one of the things that that I got the most out of with Jonathan because, uh, you know, back in back, I mean, not that long ago, mm-hmm. when I was still like really trying to come into my own with deer hunting and kind of figure out what I was doing, uh, the mark of a successful hunt wasn't like seeing or killing a mature buck. It was it was seeing any deer, mm-hmm. literally any deer. Like because I know there's a lot of listeners who like go through this too, but like there's probably a lot of hunts that a lot of people have where they're not, they don't even see a single deer mm-hmm. and they're, and they're probably not even in a low deer density area, Yeah, you know? And that was me for a long time, uh, just going out. And it, if I saw a deer, I was like, Oh my gosh, I saw a deer. And for a long time, like the bar was just, you know, obviously you're trying to kill a deer, but if mm-hmm. you see a deer, it's a really good hunt. And, you know, eventually once I kind of got better and figured out how to, you know, stay on deer pretty consistently, mm-hmm. Then the mark, you know, the bar kind of raises. I think that's kind of your natural progression as a hunter. 
And so I feel like this is a really good episode to do with Jonathan because a lot of the stuff he was talking about, I feel like, uh, relates to that. Like it's, a uh, a lot of good tips in there on how to just find deer and stay on them consistently, which is going to just make you a better deer hunter. I mean, you got to walk before you can run. Well, you're going to be a better you know? woodsman too. Yeah, exactly. And and I got to ask some stuff I was real curious about, like the trails. Yeah. Because uh, we've we've actually hunted with Jonathan and scouted with Jonathan a couple times. And and in these areas, I mean, back when we were hunting with him, that was back like I was really interested in trails back then specifically. And so we'd find like a big giant deer trail and I'd be like, Oh my gosh. And there'd be, you know, being a big intersection. I'm like, this is where we need to hunt. Kind of like what we were talking about last mm-hmm. week with how I grew up hunting with Mr. Benny and mm-hmm. them trails were a big deal mm-hmm. and we'd hunt game trails. And, uh, and Jonathan, you know, he, he had kind of an interesting answer on that where he's like, yeah, I mean, I might put a camera on it, but I don't really care. Well, well, <laughs> you know? Yeah. I realize he's in an area you can kill three does a day. So mm-hmm. it's like a lot of the trails look very impressive, but doesn't necessarily mean that they're you know being used a ton it's just yeah there's so many deer there that at certain points of the year and sometimes it might be like he mentioned this because you brought up the whole trail aspect uh i just made a big old mess man i gotta clean this up what are you doing drop i got a mouth i got a hole in my mouth and uh <laughs> hold my lip whatever water fell out so anyway <laughs> um but because you asked him about like you know you found like a real big trail on the side of a ridge line on like yep. a drainage. You put a camera on it and it was just like two or three does coming through there a couple times a week and it made the trail look real impressive. And he mentioned, he's like, that happens a lot, but also like you'll find some trails that get, maybe get used a lot more during the summer or springtime that mm-hmm. look real impressive when you get to deer season, but they just don't use those trails much at all. Come the fall and come the rut. Yep. Um, and I've definitely seen that. Like I've gone to places. That's the one thing about, especially summer scouting, you might find a big worn out trail, but it may be something that they're only using during the summertime. But like when the yeah. leaves start to change, leaves fall off, you start having more mass crop on the ground with acorns. They may not even be in that section much yeah. and use that trail system. Um, so that yeah. But then you got guys like you know we got you know guests of the podcast Jay McKay, who hunts an area that loves hunting trails. Yep. And it's like it definitely can work, but it's like you know you gotta find like your right the, the right style of what works best for you. But the thing about Jonathan that I liked was just like. His thought process on simplifying, you know, getting close to that thick cover, like when when should you hunt feed sign versus when you should push a little bit closer to that cover and really pay attention to where your does are at. Yeah. And the funny thing is we did the interview with him, you know, a couple of weeks ago, and he just went out and killed a really nice buck. Yes. Um, so he killed a really nice buck maybe four or five days after the interview. Which is the thumbnail image for this YouTube video. So you can go to the YouTube video, and the thumbnail image is the buck that we're talking about. Yep. And he killed it in an area. It was kind of fascinating. I mean, I, I haven't like necessarily jumped on a phone call with him, but just seeing like what he posted about it, um, an area like he had seen some bucks on everything, but he was kind of set up just again, kind of more in general, like how deer are going to be working through. Yeah. And that buck came slipping out, doing exactly what he was thinking some of the other deer were going to do, and was able to get a really good shot opportunity, super close. I think he killed it under like 15 yards from him. Yeah. Um, so it's just the thing about like if you kind of focus on like what Jonathan talks about. I think you're become a much more well-rounded just deer hunter in general. And you'll understand like from those mishaps and just trying to find and kill does of when you're actually going to have those opportunities for the bucks. Because I think the thing about Jonathan and he talks about those, like sometimes he'll find a buck. He'll try to kill during early bow season. Mm-hmm. But a lot of times he's just kind of hunting his way through trying to get inventory of different bucks. And he's just trying to kill his does and trying to find where the deer are at. And then when that pre-rut rut kicks off, He's then able to kind of go in there and capitalize based yeah. off where he's finding the bucks on trail camera and where he's seeing observations, but also by hunting a decent bit, knowing where all the does are bedded at and where he should be positioned, especially during muzzleloader mm-hmm. season or gun season, in order to get an opportunity to be able to see a buck going from one bedding area to another bedding area. Yeah, for sure. 
and just the amount of deer he kills. Like, you know, I think at one point in there, he's like, yeah, I'll try to not pressure the spots too much. I might only kill one or two in there. <laughs> I'm like, dang, that's pretty legit. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, it was a fun episode, man. Uh, I enjoyed talking about uh, the creek crossing aspect as well as uh, identifying the good kind of cover for mm -hmm. your area. Uh, he was talking about hunting those cane breaks in the bottoms, which mm -hmm. is pretty interesting. That's something that I've had luck with in Georgia and Alabama, and he's talking about having luck with it in Tennessee as what's, well. What's a cane break? A cane break is like down in a creek bottom, or sometimes it doesn't have to be in a creek bottom. You can have them on the sides of hills. We are actually, where we were hunting in North Georgia in the mountains, I found a cane break up on like a hill. I don't know if you'd call it a cane break, but, but a bunch of cane, switch cane, was like way up on this mountain, and the deer were just freaking loving it. Mm -hmm. So switch cane would be our native bamboo, essentially. It is, it is native cane. Yeah, it's it's it looks like bamboo, but it's it's cane and it's native to North America. Mm -hmm. And uh, back in the day, there was like vast areas of cane, and it was like big giant cane breaks. Mm -hmm. Actually, one place that has cane breaks still is uh, Apalachicola. If anyone's familiar with there, Apalachicola Bay, where the the rivers are coming out right there next to the town. When you look out over that delta, a lot of that that you're seeing out there is actually cane. Uh, and it's pretty cool, and, and that used to cover like large areas, and deer love it because you know it's native habitat. It's what deer like kind of meant to be in. But uh, what I like finding it in is sometimes you'll find it in bottoms and in areas where you're otherwise not going to have any thick cover down low. Mm -hmm. You'll have a cane break down by that creek, and for maybe 50 yards on both sides of the creek, or more than that, you've got river cane that is like waist high on us, mm -hmm. which is just like perfect for deer. Mm -hmm. And they freaking love it. They'll go down in there and just hang out during the day. They'll yeah. bed in it. Uh, and I've had a lot, like I said, I've had a lot of luck with that in Alabama and Georgia. Uh, I actually got a pretty cool video of a, a spike walking up to me in Georgia in mm -hmm. one of those. I was, I was kind of easing through that cane break looking for sign. And this buck walked like from me to this camera right here. Burn. I mean like right. Burn. And he's just grunting. He's like, man. Man, I'll put that in the YouTube video. Yeah, he, he walked right up to me grunting. And uh, there's actually two spikes in there, and they they were, like, fighting and kind of sparring, like, 15 yards from me. It was super cool. We were, like, just stabbing each other with the spikes. I, dude, that spike got so close to me, I was a little bit worried he was going to, like, shank me, for real. I mean, he was coming up. He's get, He got really close. And you know what's funny about that? I was telling Tiffany this the other day. I'm like, you don't realize how small deer actually are, especially down here in the south, man. Mm -hmm. uh, that spike came walking up to me. I mean, he got, like, right up to me. I'm like, my gosh, dude, my dog is almost as big as you. I mean, they are very small, mm -hmm. you know. They don't, they stand, like, way shorter than you think. Yeah. You know, when they're on, because when they're dead laying over on the ground, you think that they're taller than they are because just, like, their legs look long. But if you, like, stand next to a deer that is standing up, they're very short. Oh, yeah. Like, I remember as a kid, um, I went to, uh, there was a, uh, a lease hunting club that one of my other uncles was in and he'd take us out there and go hunt every now and then and the owner of the property that uh my uncle's buddy had leased the property from had like a little 10 acre little high fence there that he didn't have like true like high fence deer he had like fawns i don't know what the legality of this is but he had like <laughs> fawns they had caught and like put in there yeah uh or like you know roadkill does and a fawn on the side of the road 
they had a buck in there and a buck was like a nice 10 point he's probably like a three and a half year old deer and I remember like walking up to the fence and I'm like 12 and like I was still like so much taller than the deer he like come up and I'm like <laughs> You are little, like, dude, this is crazy, man. Like, you know, he's a good buck, but it's like, it's like crazy. Like you said, it's how short they are. Um, like, you don't really notice it, except when you're on the ground, you kind of notice it. But then again, you really notice, like, when a big buck comes in, like a heavier buck, like, they do look so much bigger body size. Yeah. You're, like, eye level with them. Like, they're still short, but they just, they look husky. Yeah. Yeah. They look, they look big. Kind of look, look like me, you know, if I was on all fours. <laughs> so, we need to talk about that, the, the scrape thing. Um, scrape thing. The scrape thing from Arkansas. Uh, oh, but but we huh? need to talk about your buck first because we got a lot of ground to cover mm-hmm. here. Uh, let, let's let's talk about your hunt. So uh, Alabama has a couple of zones that have different deer seasons based on where you're at. Mm-hmm. And I think there's two different zones, two distinct zones that open. There's three distinct mm-hmm. zones that open, like muzzleloader. They open gun, muzzleloader, and bow season all earlier. earlier. Yeah. So this past week we had a muzzleloader hunt on one of these areas, mm-hmm. and you went up for the muzzleloader hunt and uh, struck pretty quick. Yeah. So let's let's get a rundown. So of it. we had a cold front uh, come through, uh, and it's it was I mean it's Halloween. Yeah, it's Halloween, and it was like I mean it still is chilly because we're recording it a couple of days after the fact, um, but it's pretty freaking chilly and like real high winds. And uh, I decided to go to a, a parcel, uh, so I was camping there with uh, Michael Pike, and I just. That morning, I decided to go to a parcel that I was really kind of interested in diving into um, that I had scouted previously. I'd seen like 13 deer on that parcel one morning hunt. And I'm like, man, there's, I mean, there's got to be like a good buck there. Like, I didn't see a lot of bucks on it. I found like one little scrape and a couple little rubs there. But I was like, there's a big SMZ that runs from the public kind of going towards this private property. And got thick cover on the private, get thick cover on the public. And this big SMZ that kind of goes down through there with a big thermal hub in it. And I'm like, dude, I'm going to just go, like, go down in there and get there like just after daylight, slip down in there, um, and just kind of scout my way through it. Because yep. what I was trying to do, because I was planning on being up there hunting like Monday through Wednesday. And by scouting my way through, uh, you know, with the saddle and stuff on my backpack, but also with my muzzleloader, you know, if I happen to run into a deer, great. But really just trying to find a spot to really come back and set up on. And I found some – I found uh, – a couple of really good rubs down there, big rubs that were kind of running through that bottom, but ended up after like doing, I did like three miles in that parcel, um, and hiking back out. I was like, okay, I found like one good spot, um, that I wanted to set up on. And actually funny enough, as I was climbing, we had a lot of like misting rain that kind of got a little heavier throughout that day. Mm-hmm. Um, so didn't have the camera equipment, uh, camera equipment with me that morning because it was going to rain. Um, so, I was kind of climbing one of these trees over this thermal hub to try to figure out, you know, how to hunt it. And we had talked about last week's breakdown episode, but, like, I don't really ever hunt thermal hubs a whole bunch. But I'm like, this one sets up so good. It's, like, real thick in the bottom. Yeah. You had thick ridge tops all the way around it, and, like, there's buck sign all down the bottom. Um, but as I was climbing that tree just to test it and see how this, you know, it looked when I got elevated, I kept smelling like like tarsal gland. Uh, and the yeah. wind was swirling right there, and it was blowing back off the top of the ridge back behind me where this um, these thin pines were. And I'm like, man, there's got to be a buck right there. So anyways, I, I was I only one stick high, so I got it back down, grabbed my muzzler, threw my muzzler over my shoulder, kept climbing up, and I kept smelling it. I'm like, there's got to be a buck like right here, dude. <laughs> and uh, long story short, nothing ever showed, and I climbed back down, decided to, again, uh, start a new track because I was going to come back and hunt this tree, maybe not later that day, but the next morning, and uh, started hiking back up the SMZ, that, uh, the drainage back up to the truck. And as I'm walking back up, I made it like 200 yards. I kept I smelled it again, like real strong. Mm. And I walked up, and there's a scrape 
about as big as this table uh, that had just been opened up. It's been raining and blowing really hard, like 20, I think it was like 24 mile an hour gust winds. Mm-hmm. And the leaves are falling everywhere, and there's not a leaf in this scrape, dude. And it had just been worked. And I'm like, I'm like, that sucker. And it was kicked out where it, the butt came off one side of the SMZ, dropped down, made the scrape, or opened the scrape up. And I didn't see that scrape because I walked by that spot like three hours before that. And um, anyways, he went up into the on the ridge I was sitting on the point of when I was climbing that tree. I'm like, he must have got right below me. And when the wind was thrown, I could smell him yep. uh, when he was in that slut cut pines. But saw it bounce from there and went back to camp. I was talking with uh, Michael Pike and our buddy Shane Parker. And kind of figuring out for the afternoon, because I told him, like, I'd walk that area pretty good, so I was going to try to bounce a different spot. And we were kind of talking about different stuff and stuff that Shane's seen, stuff that Michael had seen. And, uh, you know, all kind of elected, like, you know, we're going to try to get down, like, lower in elevation in some of these spots. And a spot that came to mind was an area that I originally talked to Michael about, uh, which is like a, a smaller creek, kind of runs down off these ridges. And uh, it just sets up real good. It looks like there's some thick cover down there. And Michael had told me previously that he had hunted, I don't know if it was last year or two years ago, and uh, hunted during like a gun hunt and seen some bucks down there. No real big deer, but just a bunch of deer chasing down the bottom. And we were talking about, I'm like, man, I'm like, you know, I'm like, if you don't want to go there, like, dude, I'll go down in there and like go scout because I've been interested about the spot anyways. He's like, yeah. And I had to find a way to get down that ridge just because it's real gnarly, kind of like just rocky and everything. And had a, a path of travel I was going to kind of go down and elected to go there that afternoon. We all kind of split up. And I was going in with the mindset, like I've been carrying rattle antlers with me. I carried some in the morning with me, and I carried some, uh, carried them with me that afternoon as well, uh, open day of muzzler season. And my thought process is uh, I've got one of those uh, tethered fast packs, which is like a real small backpack, and I was like, I'm like, if I go down in here to the spot, like I'm talking like multiple miles from the truck, I want to make sure I can get out in one trip. Like, cause I'm going to have the pack of deer if I do kill one. So I decided yeah. to switch out to the, um, that first like, uh, transfer pack, mm-hmm. um, and put all my stuff in there. I didn't, I didn't carry saddle or anything. I'm like, I'm just going to go in there and hunt off the ground and yep. just see if I can get into the spot. And, uh, it was crazy, dude. It was like still mist and rain, just like crappy weather crazy high winds just ripping and roaring so i had all my gear packed up decided to hike down and as i'm going down the ridge um it's like there's like no deer sign on the tops and as you start going down and getting in one of the drainages it's like you start finding some big deer trails and you start finding a little more sign and then it kind of like just petered out and i get down there yep. all the way to the creek and it get it got pretty thick down there and there's just like no deer sign and pipe before I, like I, no tracks no tracks no trails uh, no droppings, no rubs. no rubs, no scrapes, nothing. And you walk into it and you look at it, you're like this, like I instantly think I'm like, I'm about to jump a deer and or see some giant rubs down here. Just like the way the habitat was. Yeah. And there was nothing. And I'm like, this is crazy, dude. And I had talked to Pike previously because he'd been in that area like a year or so previously. And he was saying like, yeah, dude, I'd, I'd find a bunch of, I had to find a bunch of big buck sign down there. Just, you know, big rubs, great scrapes, stuff like that. And I kind of worked my way through those areas and didn't find anything. And I'm like, this is insane. Cause I think mm-hmm. there'd be sign down there. Of course, found some pig sign. Um, <laughs> and uh, anyways, which is always a little eerie cause there's some freaking big pigs, but ended up started bouncing spots. Cause like I never felt confident in a lot of those areas. And like the crazy thing is when you get down the bottom, the wind's ripping up top and the wind's still blowing pretty good down in the bottom, but it's mm-hmm. like so much calmer. Like you can hear better, like you can like you know you can see better because everything's not whipping around, but the wind was kind of kicked back, and I decided to bounce 
across the little creek, uh, the little ditch, and uh, and go over to another big drainage that came off one of the ridge lines, and uh, and go get set up there. And I decided when I got set up, I'm like, I'm just again sit on the ground. I'm like, there is no sign here, like no tracks, no trails, no scrapes, no nothing, no rubs, yep. anything. Um, but this bottom looks real good. Had a lot of switch cam, like what you're talking about, kind of coming out to that bottom. And I'm like, man, I'm gonna, I'm gonna sit here and just see what you know, see how it plays out. And it's like, it was maybe four o'clock when I finally got set up. And I sat there for like 30, 40 minutes and I did some calling sequences, did some rattling, some grunting. And I'm like, dude, I just don't like this. Like, I just, there's nothing here that gives me confidence. Like, it looks good, but there's nothing here of like, I was thinking like the ask why, like, you know, give me three uh, yeah. reasons why to sit here. <clears throat> why should I be here? And it's like. Explain oh, that real quick. So this is something that Andrew brought like three years ago, four years ago on the podcast about like when he goes to the spot, he always asks himself, why should I sit here? And it's like, typically you say three things, right? Yep. And you can't use wind as one of the examples. Yes. And that's just my personal preference. And it's like, I got in there. I'm like, okay, the bottom, like this bottom looks good. Like it definitely looks like it where a deer would like yeah. kind of drop off these ridges and go down through here. But like, I haven't seen any sign up to the point. I hadn't dropped into that bottom. I just kind of came around the little ridge point. Yep. But I'm like, there's no sign. Like, maybe a deer will come through, but there's no sign. Like, I can't see anything. I haven't seen anything up to this point to tell me that there's deer coming through this area, at least bucks. Um, and then, other than it just looking good, like, as a spot you'd catch a buck, I'm yeah. like, there's nothing here. So, I decided to, like, pack my stuff up. As I'm packing my stuff up, I, like, catch, a, like, a whiff of something. Mm. And I, like, look up, and I'm like, and I see this brown thing, like, shooting across right in front of me at 25 yards. And I'm like, oh, crap. I'm like, it's a freaking deer. And it was a coyote. Had swung oh. down, and the wind was swirling this spot, and I was wondering, like, you know, if a deer comes through, it's going to smell me. And this is where I'll kind of get to the conversation about like swirling winds. Yeah. Because now, the, are you in a hub or is this just the bottom that you're crossing? This is like this is not really a hub. It's just like where a big drainage comes off one of the ridge lines down to like the, the small creek, and I'm just like kind of sitting over that that other drainage. So it's like a juncture of two two drainages. drainages. Yeah, two drainages come together. So not really a hub per se, like where you have multiple drainages. It's just like you had one big. Like one one creek drainage, and you had another you know secondary little drainage that tro- dropped off into that it. hits it at a ninety degree angle. Yeah, yeah. And um, and you would say a hub would be multiple like, multiple drainages, like at least two two. two I mean, you. <clears throat> I wouldn't call this a hub. This is this, it's not even a bowl. Like I would say at least two uh, three drainages kind of coming together, especially a little higher up in elevation where you have a couple different ridge points coming together. Yeah, because uh, this is like a very large area. Like nothing's tight. Like it's like. 120 yards across this next little drainage I'm sitting on. Yeah. Um, but anyways, this kayak comes shooting by me and like never knew I was there. It's kind of like trotting through. Were you going to, were you trying to shoot it? No, but I was interested. I'm like, how the hell did it not smell me? Cause my wind in this spot, as I'm dropping milkweed, it'd be like shooting up the ridge point at sometimes. And then it'd just be shooting down the ridge point and it'd be shooting out toward in that bottom. It'd be like going everywhere. Yeah. But I'm like, a kayak's got such a good nose, still not as good as a deer, but like has a very good nose. I'm like good enough to smell you. Yeah, I'm like I feel like it would have smelled me, and I'm like it's made me start thinking. I'm like with this swirling wind that maybe like my scent's not carrying as far as I think it is. Mm-hmm. Like it's just it's going out there maybe 30, 40 yards, and it's kind of kicking back on itself. Okay. Um, so I'm like that. I was just it was interesting. I'm like okay, that's that, that's kind of a cool observation that like that kite came through here. Never knew I was there, and just kind of kept going down the creek and kept going down the drainage yep. towards the creek. So I decided to pack myself to go down through that ditch. To where that switch cane is, and I'm like, let me see if I can cut any sign down there. Go down there, no tracks, no trails, no rubs, no scrapes, nothing. Which, I mean, it looks like the spot you'd find a huge scrape and some big rubs. Yeah. Like, you just, you look at, like, 100%, there's going to be sign. Nothing. 
and I'm like, well, I'm just going to keep working farther from the truck. <laughs> I'm already at this point. I'm two and a, almost almost two and a half miles in at this point. I'm like two two and a quarter or something like that at this point. I'm like, I'm just going to keep work further t- from the truck and kind of work back down towards the creek, back up the drainage a little bit, and just see if I can slip into anything. And at this point, I'm just looking for sign. Like if I see a deer, great, but I just need confirmation there's a buck here. Okay. I keep going, and I'm like, dude, it looks so good. Like, you know, thicker, you know, just, it looks like you'd find rubs and scrapes. And I found one spot, I'm like, man, these looks like some scrapes underneath this big beach tree. And it started carrying out. I'm like, no, this is turkey scratching. And there's, like, turkey scratching everywhere in this one oh, little spot. Man. And I'm like, well, it, okay, that's not great. Again, so still. So disappointing walk so far. 100%. I'm like, there's, I'm like, I'm not seeing anything, dude. And I'm, again, I'm far from the truck. Questioning your skills as a deer hunter at this point. Question my skills off a map, <laughs> reading maps, because everything about the map tells you like this would be a, a money spot. Like a bunch of different habitat edges kind of coming together, uh, look fairly thick in the bottom, stick on the ridge tops. Just it looks like a spot you'd have a lot of deer moving through. Yeah. Ended up kept slipping through, kept slipping through, kept slipping up. And I'm like, man, I'm going to cross the creek and go back onto uh, the other side of the creek that I originally came from, but a lot further up. And there's another drain that comes off one of the side of these little ridges. Um, and I'm like, I'm just gonna work up to that point and just see if I can find any sign there. And the second I cross the creek, uh, there's a little logging road right there, and I find a scrape. Okay, and it's just nothing impressive. It's you know a little bit bigger than a basketball. Had it been worked in probably like that day because the leaves had been kind of filled up in it, but there's some tracks in it. And I'm like, okay, there's something here at some point. Okay, there exists. There exists. And I kind of work up into that little. You almost could call it like a little bowl, just where, where this drainage kind of comes out and kind of flattens out right there before it drops down to the creek. And um, again, not really a thermal hub, just like a little flat area where it drops off the side of this ridge line. And I set up, I'm like, dude, I've got 20 minutes left before dark. Like, I don't have much time because I've been walking for most of it. And I'm like, I'm going to set up, I'm going to call and, and to see what happens. Set up against a huge beech tree, sit down there, do a, a very loud and aggressive rattling sequence. Just because it was so windy, it's like if the thing's not within a hundred yards of me, they're not going to hear me. Is is my thought process? Uh, okay. So I go to smash some antlers and uh, like trying to just break the antlers. I mean, not necessarily break him because I was using your rattling antlers and you can hurt yourself on your rattling antlers because one of those one of the sheds has a brow tine that is curled in a certain way that you could stab your hand in a heart. <laughs> yeah, so, I need to saw that thing so off. I was rattling as loud as I or as hard as I could without hurting myself. Okay. Um, and kind of. It kind of going towards like a, a Clifton Denny rattling approach because that's how Clifton rattles. Yeah. Um, you know, to the point like you almost can smell like the antlers smoking a little bit. Like you smell <laughs> like burnt antlers. And that actually happened oh, when like yeah. you're grinding them together. And I stopped. So that. when you're rattling, are you like no, smashing no, 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 not like smashing, but like I was, you say that on the freaking outdoor channel all the time. They're just like pop. You don't have you any. Know. You, you got a couple look, of here. Yeah, look right there. Two giant. Uh, yeah. Grab that one. There's one shed. Can you reach the other one? Yeah, I got you. Okay. All right, here we go. So, and this is a really bad one too. So like the brow tons like this is how you hurt yourself, people. If you're watching the video podcast, brow tons like this will impale you. They're not great. No, but oh, this is gonna hurt, dude. Look, just hurt yourself. Come on. So like when do it for the so, like when you hear like guys like like our most uh, popular calling episode was with Richard Fott. I think it's episode like two ninety or something like that. It's like calling deer the right way. Richard Fott. He talks about like tickling antlers where he'll like put them together and he's like does a lot of this stuff and like grinding. Yeah. I, I don't know if I can do it the way I did it. With, Dude, quit being a sissy. Just do it. The way I did it, it's like you're <laughs> popping them, and you're like, I can't do it. Dude, you I, almost just stabbed yourself I, in the dude, eye. I almost stabbed myself in the freaking wrist. 
But like you, I can't do it with these. There's no way the brow tines are too big. It's a problem to have. <laughs> it's a good problem to have. But like you're like you're popping them a lot more, and like you're grinding, and you're like you're making like that snap and pop like that. Oh, okay. Um, Y'all should watch on YouTube so you can kind of see what he's doing. Yeah, but this is a very bad example. It's, it's on the wrist. Huh? These brow tines are like way too tall. Man, I, mean, I love to kill that deer. That's two different deer, but uh, golly, God, I wish that was his other side. <laughs> That'd be a sweet deer like that. But anyways, um, but yeah, you need to cut your brow tines off. But anyways, but like it's just a lot more like snapping and popping. Yeah. Yeah, I can't I can't do it with it. Anyways, um, long story short, um, so I do that sequence. And it's not five minutes later. I put the antlers down, I'm sitting against this tree. You know, it's overcast, so it's getting dark quick. And uh again, I maybe have 15 minutes of light. <clears throat> and I hear like and how, how long did you rattle for? Maybe like a minute, probably. Okay. Something like that. Did you throw some grunts in? No. I, I were think, you breaking I, stuff? No, no. It was so loud um, because the leaves are blowing so loud. I'm like, I don't, I don't think you could have been snapping. Unless you snapped like a big branch, like they're not going to hear any of that. Oh, so they're just straight up rattling. Yeah, just straight okay. rattling. Gotcha, gotcha. And like five minutes later, I hear something and I look up and I see this buck coming right towards me off the side of the ridge. And I'm like, I see him for a second. He turns broadside. I'm like, man, that's a pretty good deer. And my first... Kind of like Scott Seals says. Were you says, like, holy crap, it worked. Yeah, but, but <laughs> what, like what Scott Seals says is like, the old, you know, the, the uh, oh, <laughs> buck. Oh, you son, and, of, uh, you son of a gun. Now I got to go find <laughs> that cuss word and bleep it. And uh, when he first came out, I saw him broadside, and I'm like, oh, man, it's, yeah, it's, a, good, it's a good deer. But like, I didn't think about pulling my gun up, pulling the muzzler up. So I threw my binders up, and I was looking at him, and he, he walks right up to a tree, to a beech tree, and he starts thrashing the limbs. And, I mean, just starts going to the town, these limbs – Starts pawing out a scrape, which I found it. It wasn't an existing scrape. He just wanted to make his own scrape right there. Starts pawing it out, thrashing the tree above it. And I see him. I'm like, man, it's a pretty good deer. And, uh, and then all of a sudden, he turns, starts walking towards me. And then I saw his brow tines and how wide he was in his main beams. I'm like, oh, that's a good deer. Like, okay, well, <laughs> put the binos down and get the gun up, okay? Yep. Kind of one of those situations. And uh, he, dude, right when he, like, stops, like, thrashing that tree and making that scrape, starts walking right towards me. I mean, he's 40 yards from me. He's, at this point, he's 35 yards walking towards me. That wind swirls and hits me in the back of the head, okay? And I'm thinking, I'm like, and at, actually at this point, right when he turns is when I still had the body nose up because I was still looking at him. And yep. I was like, oh, I need, I need to shoot that deer. And that wind hits me in the back of the head. I'm like, I might not be able to shoot this deer because he's about to smell me. And he stopped. <laughs> and he kind of like looked around a little bit and he just kept walking right towards me. And I'm like, I couldn't drop milk at the time, but it made me think, I'm like, did that wind just not get to that deer? Like, because I'm sitting on a r huge beech tree. I mean, the tree is this big around. I mean, it's probably, it's one of those trees you'd need like a 10 or 12 foot uh, rope rope to go around that tree. Yeah. And uh, I don't know if it went and just like eddied around the tree and it only went out, you know, 10, 15 yards and kind of swirled back. But anyways, somehow my scent didn't get to that deer in that swirling condition. And he yeah. kept walking out. I was able to put the binos down, grab the gun, pull it up, quarter two shot, held right in front of the shoulder, with the muzzler, and again, I love hunting with the muzzler, guys. I <laughs> freaking love it. Uh, one shot, one kill. Okay, you know the great thing about muzzler: if you miss, good luck trying to reload on it because it ain't gonna <laughs> ain't gonna happen more than likely unless that deer does does not know what's going on. But shot, freaking put it right in front of his shoulder, and uh, anyways, broke his shoulder, broke that onside leg, and just I mean obliterated him. And he went, he stumbled maybe four or five yards forward and just went straight down. And I was nice. like, awesome. At that point, I'm thinking, when he goes down, I'm like, 
I am very far back in here. Because, <laughs> like, up until that point, I've walked almost three miles. I've walked almost three miles to that point. Yeah. And I'm like, there's no way I'm going back the same way I came in. Like, mm-hmm. there's just no way. Mm-hmm. Like, there's I'm not going that way. Yeah, I knew there's another way. When I, when I shot him, I'm like, there's another way I can get back up that's right in front of me. Like, actually, the way that buck came down off that ridge, I can walk up that ridge and go up through a spot up there to get back up to the road. Yeah. But for me to get there, it's still, like, a mile back to the truck. So like once I get up to the road, I still have a mile back to the truck to go, oh. and I'm like, oh dude. But anyways, I go up and I see him. I'm like, oh this this great deer, it's awesome deer. And looking at him, I think he's a he's a he's probably a three year old because uh, I I um I seen a a really nice two year old two and a half year old buck uh during bow season up there, um and just like looking at his body, this deer is probably 160 pounds, probably live weight, mm-hmm. had more fat on him than any Alabama buck I've ever seen. He had fat. From his neck and brisket down to shoulders, like his whole body was encased with fat, like a quarter inch to like half inch fat. Wow! And especially as you got towards his hind quarters, like I was peeling off fat like almost an inch thick. Wow! And it went all the way down his hind quarters. I mean, the thing was covered in dude's fat. It's been stocking up. Oh yeah, I'm like dude, like he's been pounding some acorns uh, mm-hmm. this fall, mm-hmm. but um, dude, stank this nasty tarsal gland, big old uh, uh, swollen neck. Oh yeah, just yeah, swelled and, up. And I was like, this is awesome. And you know, at that point. I realized I had some work because it was getting dark, took some photos and instantly started working on, uh, you know, doing a gutless method, which we just did a video on, which should come out here pretty soon, uh, of how to do a gutless method for packing out a deer Yep. and did that, was able, which I'm pretty proud of myself, was able to get them completely quartered up, bagged and was hiking out within an hour. Of, of getting to the deer. That's good. Which is good because typically it takes That's me really good. quite a, quite Especially a while. Especially for Jacob. Yeah, because I'm pretty slow anyways. But I was like, dude, I got <laughs> I got to get through this thing and get all the meat off and everything. But using that transfer pack, that was, I think we packed out one of the deer with the transfer packs last year um, on one of our hunts where we killed with three bucks. Um, mm-hmm. But I, I wasn't using the transfer pack. I think Thomas was yeah, using Yeah, Thomas it. was. But it carried surprisingly well. I was able, so typically guys, what I do when I'm hunting, I'll carry game bags with me. Uh, some like caribou game bags, and then I carry. Uh, we've got a bank down here in the south. I mean, it's all over the country, but called Regions. And one of my uncles used to work for Regions, and he got, uh, like hundreds, if not maybe a thousand of these like big plastic, almost like contractor bags, that has a Regions logo on it, and it has like a sticky tape across the top where you can like seal what are those it things shut. Even for I have no clue. They go money bags. I have no clue. I but, mean, I don't know. But he's got. I, he's got like a whole op, he's got like a whole room full of them. Okay, so like I've got a bunch those of things them. are awesome. But like typically, if I don't have those bags, I'll keep like a big heavy, uh, like three mil uh, contractor bags with me. Um, and what I do is I, I put my game bags in a big uh, one gallon Ziploc bag, press all the air out. It goes in the bottom of the pack, and then I put the contractor bag or one of these big regions bags down in there. And what I use the contractor bag for is so once I get everything in the game bags, all the meat in the game bags. Because I don't want to get a whole bunch of just blood on my backpack, because it's not hard to clean, but it's just like pain to clean blood out of any kind of backpack using like hydroperoxide, spraying it with water, Dawn dish soap, yep. and uh, letting it air dry. But I'll put the game bags in one of these bigger plastic bags to slide inside the backpack or on the meat shelf. Mm-hmm. Now, on the transfer bag, it's, I guess it technically has kind of a meat shelf. You can separate the bag from the frame and strap stuff to it, but I didn't do that. I actually put all the game bags inside that big plastic bag down in the bottom of the backpack and then put all my clothes and all my other gear on top of it. Yep. And I had that sucker strapped down to the back. It did not have another square inch of space left in it. <laughs> um, and I was able to, you know, get out with that deer. But it, hiking back out, I mean, straight uphill, I think I, it was uh, point 
almost 0 .8, 0 .8 miles, almost .9 miles back to the road, uh, kind of getting up and out of that spot. And uh, it, it was gnarly, dude. But I'm not going to lie, it was 10 times better than dragging a deer. Houndstooth Game Call's Dixie Hen Slate was just voted the overall best turkey call by Field and Stream Outdoors, and trust me, it's super easy to run and be extremely dynamic when you're in the turkey woods. Now, we've mentioned a couple of these calls in the past, like the Spur Master and the Success Call in a past episode with both Gary Vines and Lyle Gilbert of Houndstooth Game Calls. And it was funny enough, y'all actually bought every Spur Master call and Success Call they had. Now, pay attention to their website. They're going to have some more come up in stock in the next few days. So when they come available, make sure you get one if you did not purchase one before they sold out last time. Both the Spurmaster and the Success Call are fantastic for hunting high-pressure turkeys, whether you're on a hunting club where you have a lot of other members hunting those same turkeys, or if you're on public land. Again, both of those calls will make you sound a little bit different from everybody else and be a lot more subtle in your calling technique and be able to really help close those distance with those gobblers. So if you want to give Houndstooth Game Calls a try, go to houndstoothgamecalls.com. Use the promo code SOP24. Again, promo code SOP24 for 15% off houndtoothgamecalls.com. True Lock Chokes has been made in Georgia since 1981 and offering a wide range of chokes, over 2,000 different chokes for all kinds of shooting activities. You might be wondering why you'd want to purchase a True Lock Choke, and it's to improve your shotgun performance. Absolutely guaranteed. And as a great example, we have Andrew Maxwell here. And, uh, Andrew, you've had some pretty good luck, again, kind of switching out chokes and trying out the Precision Hunter choke from True Lock. So, Andrew, what's been your experience so far? Yeah, I've, always, I've used the same choke for several years now. I never really thought much of it, and I got the True Lock choke in. I patterned my gun with the first choke at uh, 30 and 50, and then I switched to the True Lock and changed from 30 to 50. And the 50-yard pattern on my gun with the True Lock choke is unbelievable like everybody's jaws were dropping like when we were out there with mike and sam we were all super impressed i mean it's throwing a better pattern at 50 now than it was throwing at 40 before my old choke and andrew you're shooting the precision hunter choke from true lock it's a great option same chokes i have in my shotgun so guys if you want to give true lock a shot this spring you can head over to truelockchokes.com that's t-r-u L-O-C-K chokes.com. You can also use the promo code Southern at checkout at truelockchokes.com and save 10% on your order. Again, give TrueLock a shot this spring, especially if you're not happy with the performance of your shotgun and shoot with a more deadly pattern with TrueLock. Oh, 100%. And, and, and also where I was at, I had zero sales servers, so I couldn't call or text anybody to let them know I shot something. So I'm like, unless I walk all the way up and I have to walk all the way back to the truck to get some cell service, I had some cell service at the truck. That's the only way I could let somebody know. And I'm like, I'm just dealing with this by myself. I'm not, <laughs> I'm not hiking out of here to let everybody know and go get some help to come back in here and have to quarter back it out. I'm just going to do it all in one trip. And mm. it worked out really, really well. Uh, but that, that pack did great. I was I was surprised how well that pack did getting everything out. But yeah, was able to get back to the truck and made it back by like, I don't know, maybe 8 o'clock. I think it was 8 o'clock on the dot. And uh, right when I get back, start driving out, and Michael calls me. He's like, he's like, man, are you good? Because it's like two hours after dark now. By the time I'm driving <laughs> out, he's like, are you good? And I'm like, I'm like, yeah, dude. It just took me a while to get out of the, out of the woods. I was trying to text everybody like a photo of the deer and everything. I'm like, hey, it took me a while to get back to the truck. So I had the deer, <laughs> and 
he never got it, and he's like, he's like, he's like, you good? I'm like, yeah. I'm like, I'm just not even gonna tell him until I show up at camp. <laughs> and uh, I'm like, yeah, dude. I'm like, yeah, it just took me forever. You know, kind of got lost, but I'm, you know, back to the truck. I'm driving back now. <laughs> and uh, he's like, all right, but you know, he didn't think anything about because typically I take a long time to get out of the woods anyway. Yeah, this is nothing unusual <laughs> at all. It's like Jacob shows up three hours after dark. Yeah. So like, uh, it's like when we we're hunting your hunting club, and like y'all were back at the the, the checkout. Board. We're ready to go get some Mexican When I food. was like packing my stuff up at the base of the tree. Yeah. And uh, anyway. It was ridiculous. But I, I get back and he's like, he's like, man, he's like, dude, you good? I'm like, yeah, dude. I'm like, it was just, I, it was tiring getting out of that spot. I'm like, hey, I need your help. I'm trying to grab some stuff out of the back of the truck. I need to like unload some stuff open the back of the truck and like open the back of the truck. I'm like, hey, help me grab this real quick. And the buck's on my backpack. And he, he like looked at it for a second. He's like, <laughs> and he like looked at me. And he like looked back at the deer. And he's like, you killed that? And I'm like, no, I found that deer on the side of the road and you know, <laughs> packed him out. Like, yeah, I killed the deer. And he's like, holy crap, man, that's awesome. Oh, dude. that's so good. But uh, but yeah, it, it was awesome. But like, yeah, dude, because sales service is so bad, uh, I couldn't text anybody until we dropped back, um, went back to town, and um, you know, had to go get go grab some dinner and everything and get all that taken care of. But uh, it, it was a cool experience. But again, you know, rattle that deer, and but it was cool, kind of seeing again, like how fast he responded, which told me, like, I think I told you, I told Pike this, like that deer had to be within a hundred, 150 yards of me to hear that. I think. Yeah. Uh, just cause of how loud everything was. Um, and he just was aggressive enough to come into that spot and, and mm-hmm. come check it out. And he was definitely like second I saw him, he started thrashing that tree, making that scraping cam on a beeline right towards me. So That's awesome. it was, it was a really, really cool experience. And it made me kind of think like how to implement. I now look at calling slightly different, because call, I always thought calling in the past, like we've talked about calling in the past, and like, you know, I've had some success with it, but it's also like I'm so cautious about doing any kind of calling. Yeah. But like calling, I feel like is one of the things you can do to actually make something happen mm-hmm. instead of hoping something's going to happen. Yeah. Like I feel like that's where calling kind of comes into uh, a factor. It's like by calling, you're able to hopefully try to make something happen and try to, instead of hoping something's going to happen. Um, so it gave me a lot more confidence to call now. So uh, I don't know. We're probably going to try it out a little bit more this season and, uh, you know, rattle, grunt, snort, wheeze, the whole nine yards yeah. um, and just kind of see how it plays out. But it, it was a really cool experience. And, again, packing that deer out was uh, – It's let me tell you this. Every time you pack it out, I've packed out quite a few deer now. Every time you pack one out, especially like a buck specifically – and it's always like, man, this might be the heaviest pack out I've ever done. It's like <laughs> it's every, always the heaviest. It's always the heavy. It always was like, man, this is the heaviest pack I've ever done. And it wasn't. Um, I think that thing because I had a lot of gear with me, clothes and stuff, and I was probably walking to woods with like probably eighteen pounds of gear. Yeah. Uh, and then with all the meat and everything, the headed and all that kind of stuff, I mean, I was probably around eighty, eighty-five pounds coming mm-hmm. out. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's still not as heavy as like the black bear pack out was by far when the heaviest pack out, and our mule deer. But when we killed our mule deer, cause we had to pack out two mule deer at once. Um, I was in a lot better shape though. <laughs> like that's, that's back when I was a gym rat and I was in like 10 times better shape. But, uh, but yeah, hiking out with that sucker. I'm like, dude, I'm like, just, I'm just praying. I'm like, you know, let me not, I don't want any tear an ACL or any kind of ligaments, in my knee and everything like <laughs> slow and steady as we're going up, you know, don't take any big steps where you can slip and twist something. Uh, just yep. be careful. Cause again, it's one of the spots that like, you know, if you broke a leg or something back in there, uh, yeah, you're going to have some trouble. You're sleeping there for the night. Yeah. Cause I mean, unless you can crawl back up and again, like I was, it t- it was a mile, it was a 1.8, 1.8, almost 1.9 miles uh, to the truck. It took me an hour to get back packing them out. But um, it was one of those things that, like, it was so gratifying to do that, which kind of goes back to, like, you talking about, like, hunting some of these different areas and, like, having, like, the adventure of, like, 
going in real deep and trying to kill a buck yep. and get them out. Yep. Yeah, there's definitely like a gratification of doing something like that versus like, you know, killing one a couple hundred yards from the truck, which yeah. I have no issue. Like, I'll kill a big deer whether he's <laughs> I don't care where he's at. two miles back or if he's 150 yards off the road. It don't matter to me, but there's definitely something special about killing one pretty far back and packing them back out. Yeah, I love that, man. Like the, our mountain hunt last year, mm-hmm. that's kind of how those were. Those were both really far from the truck. And it's just an adventure. Yeah. I mean, it's just a, it's truly an adventure that you look back on, and it's just something like super fun. So I highly recommend it to everybody. Yeah, uh, man, that's that's really awesome about the the rattling thing. Uh, I feel like it's all about timing with that. That's mm-hmm. something that Pike was saying. Is that like it just goes to show that that rattling is all about timing because you've rattled for years, mm-hmm. and this is the first buck you've actually killed rattling. Yeah, and I think it's always because I've done it too close to the rut, and the problem is a lot of places that we hunt. There's so many does that, like, bucks, I don't think they have to compete overly hard when, like, the majority of the does are in heat. Yeah. And that's when you hear a lot of guys not having success, you know, doing a lot of rattling. It's like you're in the Midwest, and it's a lot more bounce buck-to-doe ratio. But I feel like if you do it early enough, especially, like, you could potentially have more success, uh, like, kind of earlier in the pre-rut because, like, you know, you've scouted this area. You found fighting tracks where bucks were sparring yep. th- three weeks ago. Yep. In an area. Yep. Um, and then, you know, Shane's seen the same thing. Pike's seen the same thing. And it's like, I feel like if you do it early enough, maybe you'll have more success, mm-hmm. you know, with the, like specific, specifically rattling. I think grunting can work at a lot of different times, but like specifically rattling, doing it a little bit earlier than you thought. So like, you know, say like if, if you're, the area of say you hunt, say ruts the first week of January, mm-hmm. you know, start rattling the end of November, that first week of December. And, and try to do some calling, yeah. Um, and, and see if you can kind of you know draw something in and get something's attention. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, I think I've only killed one deer rattling that I can remember, but and I killed him like 16 days pre what I would consider peak of the rut is when I mm-hmm. rattled that deer in, and so it's probably about the same for this deer that you just killed when you. Probably, I mean, yeah, probably, I mean, probably like roughly, uh, like a a good distance away from like peak rut. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're still in like early pre rut kind of stuff, and so that that's like the time when they're like fighting it out, you know. Mm-hmm. And and I've had it one time I actually in the same area that I rattled that buck in and killed him. I had the only time I've ever witnessed like a true knockdown drag out buck fight. Uh, Wait, did you kill that buck in public? No. Oh, okay. That was on our old hunting club. Okay. Did you have a one of the knockdown drag out fights on public over there on a <sighs> specific parcel? It sounded like because I remember it's like the year you and me started hunting, and you, I don't want to give out too many details, but there was a certain gate you'd always hunt behind, and getting back there next to like a like a beaver pond or something, and hearing some bucks going at it on one ridge line. No, 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 that wasn't on that ridge line. That was on. I think you're thinking of one that was on that same club. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it, man, there was a, I saw like 19 deer that morning and yeah, two of the bucks, one of the bucks I, I should have shot. Hey man, I wish I had, I still, I wish I still had the trail cam pictures of this deer. He was like a, he was like a four point or something. Oh wait, no, no, that's a different deer. This deer, he had like a five point side and like a big giant fork on the other side, but it only forked at the end. It was like a big club, like huge, like heavy mass. And we named him Fubar and we wanted to kill Fubar. He was a cool-looking buck. And he passed Fubar. Well, so Fubar came walking up. <laughs> I love that name. I'm, I need to name another deer that. Uh, he came walking up the ridge, and his bad side was facing me. And I thought, I just I didn't recognize him at first. And he turned at the last second, and I saw what, what deer he was, and I tried to get up on him, and it was too late. 
and another deer came up and it, he was uh I can't remember which deer he was because we had most of these deer on camera, but another good deer, and I just couldn't get a shot on him, and they ended up getting together and just fighting. And I was like, I was genuinely shocked at how like violent and loud it was. Yep. Like, at, like literally shocked. Mm -hmm. It would be like, it sounded like two guys with baseball bats trying to kill each other. I mean, it was so loud. And I'm like, wow, like I am not... I'm not rattling hard enough, you know? Like, you got to be violent with it, mm -hmm. you know? And so that's what they did. But that same, it was a different year, but same time period. It was like 15-plus days before peak of the rut, mm -hmm. and that's when they're just, like, going at it, you know, going crazy. So, anyways, all about timing. Yeah, I've got some other places in mind that I'm going to definitely implement some rattling. You going to rattle in Arkansas? Or do you think it's too late? I mean, it'd be worth taking them. Uh, I think right now, like, this timing of the, like, you know, a week before we get there would probably be like peak time for rattling. Really, I would kind of, I mean, I wasn't even, you know, kind of transitioned to Arkansas when we went up there and scouted. I wasn't even, I, I never even like carried my, my muzzler with me. It was muzzler season. I didn't even carry it with me. Thomas has had his and is out there just, you know, scouting um, and running trail cameras and all that kind of stuff, which, you know, luckily I didn't run into any bucks, <laughs> like thankfully, because I was telling Thomas like, this would be the time when 160 pops out at 35 yards. He just like looks at me. <laughs> He's like, what are you And then it's like, just, puts his tail up and starts like kind of walking off, trotting off. But uh, thankfully that didn't happen. But um, we did bump some deer. I think I bumped two different bucks in two different spots uh, that were bedded up. But again, it was so thick, like you couldn't, you couldn't get a shot even if you wanted to. Uh, even though I bumped one, I swear it ran right by Thomas and he's like, I never even saw it. Yeah. I'm like, I got, I know it was really windy, but if you were looking anywhere out in this opening, you should have saw that deer come flying out of here. Old um, Thomas, man. Yeah, yeah. All right, so Arkansas, update on Arkansas. You, well, you put out a whole bunch of cameras, uh, but mm -hmm. six of them were cell cameras. Mm -hmm. uh, we got three different brands represented. We got Covert, Bushnell, and Tacticam. Mm -hmm. One of each is not working. <laughs> <laughs> so across the board, one of each is not well, working. I, I think uh, it could be bad cell signal. Well, uh, actually, well, one of them's working. The Covert... That was the first camera we put out. Um, it it's in a spot that I thought was a lot better than what it really was because uh, mm, we've had some deer just misjudged. Yeah, it, huh? it just it, there's not much activity going on. But like we've had, I think a doe on that camera, um, so it's working. It's just nothing's really coming by that camera. I think. Oh, okay, gotcha. But the, one of the bush nails, I think it just l must have lost signal. It was sending those photos fine. And I can't believe for like 10, 12 days it hasn't sent us another image because there's so much sign right there. Yeah. Um, so that one's kind of offline. And then one of the Tacticams, uh, which is in another really good spot on a really good scrape line, um, sent us photos when we were in front of the camera. and then Hadn't sent us anything since. No test photos, nothing. Since yeah, then. and we got the check-in picture turned on, and it's not sending us check-in pictures. Yep. So, so it's definitely something's up with that camera. But the other ones, they're, they're, they're all on scrapes, and... We've been getting, I wanted to just briefly talk about this because yep. it's something that I've used in the last couple of years successfully, mm -hmm. specifically successfully last year on our mountain hunt, mm -hmm. uh, but even before that, and that is finding the right kinds of scrapes to put your cameras on and using it as an indicator of, of what kind of rut activity is going on. And this exact same thing played out last year on our mountain hunt, and that is the the scrapes they'd get some activity maybe some bucks are coming mm -hmm. by you might get like some good bucks coming by randomly and then 
all of a sudden you get a bunch of does using it. Mm-hmm. And there's like a flurry of activity around that camera, specifically where does are coming up. They're working the licking branch. They're peeing in the scrape. Does are using it. And you get like nothing but does on camera for a couple of days. And then, bam, like the bucks start showing up. You get like three or four bucks using that same scrape. And that happened last year uh, on our mountain hunt. And we ended up killing a couple bucks, mm-hmm. you know, based off that information. Um, just really using that information to say, hey, there's there's probably a hot doe in this area or or they're probably using this, they're probably chasing in this area. Mm-hmm. Um, another another good indicator is your camera's on, on a scrape and it's getting all kinds of activity, like getting hammered by activity and then it goes dead. That, to me, is an indicator that they're, they're probably not scraping because they're chasing or they're doing something else, mm-hmm. you know, like there's a hot doe and they're actually either locked down with that doe or, or seeking her out or chasing her or whatever. Um, and what we're seeing in Arkansas right now is pretty much that, like we had a flurry of does as soon as this cold front rolled through this Halloween cold front that we got, we had all kinds of does on a couple of these cameras and now bam, the the bucks are coming through, including the first mature buck that we've gotten on camera. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. He's a pretty nice deer. Yeah. Pretty nice deer. Nothing, nothing crazy special, but definitely he comes out. He's getting popped. He's getting shot (laughs) for sure. Um, and you know, that, that's one thing that's kind of interesting because we found a lot of good sign while we were up there. Like, the sign, which, based off when I was there last year, um, we were there probably like six days later than when I was there last year. Yeah. And it was, like, completely different. Uh, there's way more rubs, way more scrape. I mean, there was no rubs last year, no scrapes I found. Mm-hmm. I think I covered, like, 18 miles in, like, five days up there hunting or scouting um, and didn't find any fresh rubs, any fresh scrapes, nothing. Um, and a lot of those areas, the same areas that we went into this time. So the signs a lot, um, a lot more, um, I guess readily available. And it's, it seems maybe a touch earlier, um, but just a ton of big rubs, ton of big scrapes and a couple of the scrapes that we've had, I guess the most activity on, at least on the, the cell cameras, one of them in particular is right next to, uh, there's like a couple different thickets that all kind of come together in one area. And they all kind of point towards each other. It's like you got like one thicket uh, to like the northwest. You got one thicket to the south, uh, or one di- one thicket to the northeast, one uh, thicket to the southwest, and another thicket to the uh, southeast. So it's like three yeah. thickets all come together in this one spot. And we found there when I walked into that area, uh, which I'd been wanting to go to for a while now. Um, there was rubs going through that spot along with a really nice scrape underneath a big cedar. Um, and I was like, man, this is, this looks like a, a fantastic spot in, in order to kind of catch a deer, you know, kind of cruising through. So, you know, elected to put up a camera there and that's where we've had by far the most sign, at least out of the yeah. active working, uh, sale cameras. Um, and you know, like you said, you know, bucks of all different ages coming through there, a bunch of does, uh, different times of the day, both morning, midday afternoon evening like a bunch of different times they're coming through yep uh which is really really exciting um but hopefully it kind of all pans out pretty well i'm very eager to see because we put out six sale cameras and i think i put out i think it's eight seven or eight non-cellular cameras in other spots Mm -hmm. and looking back at it there's a couple of spots that we put the non-cellular cameras out that i really wanted a cell camera and i'm an idiot with putting cell cameras out and like i called you at one point and i was like man i can't get these things to work like you know how do you do (laughs) test photo blah 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 because i've never put any cell cameras out it's always been you doing it and uh i didn't realize at the time but they were i tried a bush nail and a and a uh uh reveal 
and I didn't think I was getting them working. And they were sending photos to us then, <laughs> but I wasn't getting notification because I didn't have like the greatest cell signal. And uh, anyway, so we, I liked to put. Uh, we had a couple. Uh, we had some Tasco uh, cameras, some Browning uh, Strike Force non-cellular cameras, and then a couple Wild Game Innovations. And anyways, I like to put you know one of these other non-cellular cameras in those areas. But uh, I'm very excited to see what those cameras provide because it's like you'd walk through some of these spots um, and you get into like just a ton of sun. Like the, the way I describe it is. Complete opposite of like where I just shot this buck at. Yeah, you couldn't step foot on a lot of this place without seeing tracks everywhere. Like mm-hmm. big tracks. Like dude, there were some tracks that we found that were like as big or bigger than your hand walking through some of these spots in like these thickets, and uh, which would be hard to hunt. But I think you kind of maybe get into the center of them, kind of get around the edge of them, um, and do pretty good. But I've got some cameras kind of scattered out throughout some of those thickets and some more like the more open woods closer to some of the thickets. Um, but it's like you just like pop through one of these spots and you find three or four really good scrapes and then you'd find a bunch of huge rubs you know rubs on you know seven eight inch diameter trees um and just tore up signs so i'm like i know there's got to be some good deer in here and not like some of the, the younger bucks we got on camera it's just a matter of time of figuring out what scrapes they're actually using because i'm hoping that some of the other scrapes that we put some of these non sailor cameras on have some of those mature bucks actually using a lot more right now yeah definitely uh <clears throat> we got to work on your your trail camera placement. I got to tell you, it's not great. Look, I, I start getting freaking pictures rolling into these cell camera apps. And, like, there's just a tree right in front of the scrape. Like, between the camera and the scrape, there's a whole other tree. It's not and a I'm big just tree. Like, what are you doing? It's not, you know, it's like. No, a, it's a big tree. It's, it's like this big around. Uh, it's got limbs all over it. So, at night, the, the infrared flash is hitting that thing, and you can't see nothing behind it. It's just like a white tree with blackness behind it and two eyes back there <laughs> some, t- some some of the photos are like oh that. dude i'm telling you so we need uh we need maybe you should just go hang out with shane for a while and let him show you how how he puts cameras out yeah well my thought process on a lot of that uh because we were hanging a lot of the trail cameras up using climbing sticks because uh, there's a decent amount of hunters and i didn't want to have anybody steal a camera but also it's like not getting it so close to the scrape because my thought process was um and dude, I'll tell you what, I'm about as bad about picking a tree for a camera as I am about picking a tree to climb to hunt. Uh-huh. I mean, I'm saying they're like, Thomas, like, hurry up, pick a tree, and let's you go. Did. He's slow with everything. Yeah, so. Uh, slow with Christmas. But, yeah, my, my thought process, because I remember we interviewed, I think it was um, Greg uh, Skufka talking yep. about how he likes, I think it was Greg, or maybe it might have been Troy Pottinger, some, one of these guys talking about, like, putting a, the camera not on, like, especially on a scrape, not putting it on the, like one of the first trees next to the scrape, but putting it one tree further back. So like the deer aren't like directly looking at your camera. Yeah. But putting funny, it at an angle, but funny enough, that freaking mature buck. Oh, he freaking nailed dude, that it, thing. That, that camera's eight foot up a tree, two trees off from the scrape. You know, it's probably 15 yards from the scrape. And I guess it's glowing red that, that tactic camera reveal is. And he is stomping. He's the only staring. Like, at I don't it. know if you knew the other deer, cause we haven't pulled some, I've looked at a bunch of any of the other videos. But he like works the scrape, looks up, and he just starts stomping on the video, looking the scrape. That, he's like, a, from the videos I've seen because I request a lot of videos from there. Uh, he's the only one I've seen notice the camera so far. Yeah. Go figure, you know, big old mature buck. Big. I mean, he's a his body is like significantly larger. Yeah, than he, yeah. any other deer, yeah. even the bucks we got on camera. Yeah, he's a toad. Um, 
And he's got pretty good mass. He's probably 16, 17 inches wide, but mm-hmm. he's got one of his main beams goes out, and I don't think it has any tines on it. He's got a brow tine, but I don't think he's got any, like a G2 or G3 big or old, anything. Big old spike. Yeah, big old spike you know, side. But but his nine, other side's like a four-point side. Yeah, it's like a 19-inch spike coming off yeah. the side. It's freaking hanging around. I mean, I'll shoot him. I mean, I won't think twice about it. Yeah. So, anyways, all right, we got to get to these uh, questions. Um, Jacob, tell them where oh, we're going to get Q and A's. So again, like I say, every single week, guys, we greatly appreciate you guys submitting the Q and A's, listener Q and A's, uh, on the website. Uh, of course you can go down the show notes on the audio podcast or on the video side of the uh, podcast. And there's a show note down there talking about a link for the listener Q and A's. You can submit your questions. And again, we answer those on these, uh, outro breakdown episodes. Uh, so appreciate everybody been doing them. It's definitely been one of my favorite parts of the segment, the podcast that we do every single week. Oh yeah. It's my favorite. So, all right. This is from Tommy Kelly coming out with some controversy. Uh, Hey guys, love the podcast. I have a bit of a controversial question for you guys. I've been attempting to deer hunt for the first time for about four years now and have not gone a single time yet. Reason being, I've been trying to archery hunt. Problem is, learning to hunt and learning to shoot, as well as work on the bow. And he says, because I'm left-handed and I can't find a shop near me that can do anything but put a brand new string on the bow. Uh, It has been overwhelming, and I've not ever been able to get the confidence to actually go hunting. In this instance, would you get a crossbow? Would be... uh, uh, Sorry. Would getting a crossbow be worthwhile just to learn the hunting side before I jump into a bow, or do you guys think waiting for rifle season would be better? I know crossbows are a bit controversial in the archery world, but in the spirit of extending my season as long as possible, I figure it might be the best way to get the most experience. I'm very interested to get your guys' opinion on this. Thanks. All right, Jacob, take it away. I don't care at all if you use a crossbow or not. Um, I'm not – I really don't care. I don't care if you use a – Tra- a traditional bow, compound, crossbow, whatever you want to shoot, go go about doing it. I've talked about this. I've almost about to buy a crossbow just to hunt with it, just because I know <laughs> it'll piss some people off because, you know, I'm an able-bodied person using a crossbow. Haven't done it quite yet, but I'm very tempted to do so. You just um, want to stir the pot, huh? Just Yeah, just for the hell of it. Um, <laughs> my So this is one, unfor- one, one unfortunate thing about, you know, bow hunting is if you don't, like I look at like say like John Dudley on his YouTube channel, he's got a ton of tutorial videos on how to like work on your bow and all that kind of stuff. And unless you feel confident doing that, if you don't have like a quality archery shops, you know, relatively close to you that can actually not only help you work on your bow and do a lot of you know kind of t- either teach you how to do it or actually let them do it, and also having someone that can be a mentor to teach you how to shoot and shoot properly and have confidence with what you're doing. Um, it's really hard for people. And, and you know, thankfully, you know, we live in an area where we have Mark's Outdoors uh, not terribly far from us. Um, and both uh, Mark Smith and Robbie Yates works on our bows, and they're awesome dudes. Yeah. Highly recommend them. They're hilarious to go talk to. Um, but it's if you don't have something like that as a resource for you, I can see how you can kind of feel like you're left out a little bit on, you know, having somebody kind of help coach you, especially if you don't have like an actual hunting mentor who does a lot of bow hunting and who maybe works on their bows that can kind of help coach you along getting through the different stages. So my thing is if getting a crossbow would help you feel more confident getting out in the woods and start experiencing, you know, hunting, especially it seems like you're a newer deer hunter. um, Yeah. You've only been hunting for about four years now. I'd say do it, but the thing is, even with a crossbow, there's certain things you have to do to that bow. It's a, a lot of crossbows. If you buy a crossbow, like maybe your bow shop can get it set up for you, but they don't necessarily always. They don't come together. Like you still have to put them together and everything, uh, and understand like you know you have to wax your rails and everything in order for it to not blow that. up. Uh, Most of them come together. 
I was talking to Robbie and them. He's like, you know, a lot of their crossbows they you come to get like different parts. He's got to kind of put together for you. Like what? Um, the uh, like the scopes. Yeah. Well, some of them aren't even strung. He says some of the crossbows you buy, they're not even strung. So you got to get some place to string it for you. Um, oh wow, that's weird. Yeah. So I mean, I, you can just go buy one off the shelf that's already strung. That, that's true too. Um, but anyway, there's still some factors there. So even if you get a crossbow, it's not like necessarily you just go out and shoot the thing, make sure it's sighted in. There's like some different maintenance aspects that you need to do for it. Because I don't know about you guys, but I've been seeing a lot of people on social media talking about blown up crossbows this year. <laughs> it's like every day on one of the two of the face or one of the Facebook groups I'm in, hunting groups, someone's talking about like a blown up crossbow. Like Ben from Mark's Outdoors, he's an old gentleman, works in the ammo and gun department. His crossbow blew up on him this year. Um, oh, wow. And he's like, he was just sitting in the shooting house with me, and all of a sudden I hear this, Kadoom! and I'm like, I thought it was a bird trying, he thought it was a bird trying to fly into the window to get into the, cross, <laughs> into the uh, blind. Oh my God. And it like, it was like, hang, one of the limbs was like hanging off, and it was still cocked and everything, and it's all sketchy. But um, nice. Again, if, if hunting with a crossbow would make you feel more confident, try it you know, go about doing it. But I'd also highly recommend doing a little more research and trying to find whether it's a bow shop or someone, a private individual in your region to kind of help you work on a bow and help you get comfortable shooting it. Um, because I'll say this, when you shoot a deer with like a compound bow, it is so rewarding. It, it really is. Um, there's like a connection you have with like the whole aspect of getting drawn back and like just the hassle of everything yeah. um, that makes it extremely rewarding um, that, I don't necessarily think you really get with the compound, but um, again, just kind of repeating myself. If if you think it make you more confident, go about doing it. But what I would recommend is get on Facebook. On Facebook, if you're on social media, get on Facebook, make a post, and and I would try to find somebody who maybe shoots, um, you know, whether it's ASA tournaments or some kind of tournament, uh, tournament archer that maybe works on bows that maybe doesn't have a bow shop, but you could pay them to kind of help work on your bow and also maybe help them. It'd be worth paying them a couple hundred bucks or a hundred bucks to sit down with them on a Saturday or a Friday and show them like, Hey, how do I go about tying in, you know, a peep or tying in a D loop or adjusting my bow or whatever. Um, so you feel a little more confident if you're actually going to work on it yourself. But Andrew, what about you, Mr. Bowtech? I just get the crossbow. Uh, like I know that's going to make people mad, but <clears throat> I did the exact same thing. Okay. Mm -hmm. When I was, like, I don't know, probably 16 or 17, mm -hmm. uh, I'd, like, if people don't know, like, my backstory, I'd, I hunted as a kid. I killed deer as a kid with a rifle. We didn't really bow hunt when I was a kid. Uh, I always hunted with my dad. He passed away when I was 14. And then that's when I started hunting with the George family, which people have heard me mention on various podcasts, Mr. Benny and those guys. Well, like I mentioned it last week, they didn't bow hunt. Mm -hmm. uh, we squirrel hunted, small game hunted until... Gun season came in, and we gun hunted. Well, I started, when I got to be old enough to have my driver's license, I wanted to go more than I was able to go with the George family, so I started hunting my local WMA, and that's how I got into public land hunting. Well, I was 16. I was hunting with all my hand-me-down stuff for my dad, uh, and I didn't know what I was doing. Like, did not know what I was doing at all. That's the reason this podcast exists. It's because I wanted to make this podcast for people like that, uh, who just did not know where to start on public land, so... I'm like a 16-year-old trying to go and figure out public land, trying to figure out how to find deer, trying to figure out how to hunt because I just hunted food plots mm -hmm. and stuff growing up. And I, I did the whole bow hunting thing because on WMAs in Alabama, you, can't, you can only gun hunt on certain weekends. So even in gun season, you still have to bow hunt most weekends. Mm -hmm. And I just had like a lot of struggles with bow hunting. Like I, I was losing confidence. It was it, like it just 
you know, kind of like he's talking about, I just lost confidence and mm-hmm. it was overwhelming. So I got a crossbow and I went out and I started. Oh, you had a crossbow? Yeah. Oh, I didn't know that. Oh, dude, I started waxing deer with a crossbow. I killed a couple, got my confidence back, mm-hmm. switched back to a compound. Mm-hmm. Uh, if people got a problem with it, cool. <laughs> go kick rocks. I, I mean, I don't care. I, f- I feel like we should just b- both go buy crossbows. Yeah, I mean, like, it, it, I, I get it. It's controversial. I think people make a way bigger deal out of it than they need to. Uh, you know, if if you're if you're overwhelmed and you want to use a crossbow and that's what's going to get you into the woods and get you started, go for it. Like, yeah. don't don't be ashamed about that. Like, if, if people want to give you a hard time about it, you tell them to go kick rocks. I mean, like, that that's all there is to it. Um, like Jacob said, though, the compound bow, like that's extremely rewarding. And if you are feeling overwhelmed the and, and not confident, the only way you're going to build confidence is by just going out and doing and screwing it up and just mm-hmm. and being persistent and not quitting. Because uh, when you struggle through stuff like that, that's how you get your confidence. Another great example. So, um, you know, even like the, the like Aaron from the hunting public talks about this, about like you don't have to have like a super extended range to be a bow hunter. Like you need, you know, if yeah. you feel comfor- comfortable shooting out to 20 yards, set a hard precedent that like, I'm not going to shoot a deer past 20 yards. Yeah. Oh yeah. And, and learn to set up for that. Um, and that's how I started out bow hunting. Cause like when I started out bow hunting, I didn't have any, like my uncle's bow hunted, but like, I never even asked for like tips or anything from those guys. Yeah. We just, I just, they got, I got my first compound bow was a hand down bow from Anthony. Yeah. Old high country carbon light. Okay. Mm-hmm. And, uh, dude, all I would do, like, I didn't even know how to sight the thing in. Like, I, actually, that's probably what I talked to him about how to, like, you got to move your pin around and everything in order to, you know, get everything sighted in. Never paper tuned a bow, nothing like that. But I'd felt comfortable shooting like 20, 25 yards. I'm like, I, I felt pretty comfortable. Um, and it was just like one of those things that, like, like you said, at some point, you, you might get that edge to go back to a compound bow, especially after you have some success, maybe with a crossbow. Yeah. But like, if you don't feel comfortable shooting 40 yards, don't shoot 40 yards. Yeah. Like if you oh, feel, yeah. if you feel like 15 and ends your, your range, well, okay. You know, try to, try to give you the challenge of setting up where you're going to have a 15 yard shot or a mm-hmm. 20 yard shot. Yeah. Um, but yeah, don't, don't worry about what other guys are doing. You see other guys, like great example, like Hunter Hogan, who's like a wizard when it comes to archery oh, and yeah. shooting. Yeah. You know, dude's dropping bombs at 70, 80 yards. No mm-hmm. problem. Don't worry about trying to be like that. Like, no. if your comfort range is 25 and in or 30 in, that's your range, and that's how you need to step and try to hunt that mindset. Uh, and don't try to worry about extending your range. Like, you might see other guys who just are extremely pro, pro, uh, proficient with their archery equipment. Um, you don't have to necessarily do what they do. You know, figure out what works best for you and, and make it happen. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And, uh, you know, like, it sounds like you're just kind of anxious about going, and the only the only answer to anxiety about anything is to just – like go do it action is the answer so like if if you're nervous about going out there with a bow or if you're nervous about going out there in general like just do it man i mean that's really the only way that you're going to get over that is like you you just got to go and try mm-hmm. uh and and like i said the the bow is super rewarding i recommend it but if that's not something you want to take on right now then you know if you want a crossbow go get a crossbow if you want to wait for rifle season wait for rifle season it's kind of up to you mm-hmm. uh but at the end of the day you just got to get out there and start start small you know start doing something you know it might be like a two-hour hunt it might be a scouting session just like whatever you got to do to to kind of cure that anxiety because every time you go you'll get a little bit more confident mm-hmm. so all right uh next up this is from jake he didn't give his last name uh he said can you guys talk about hunting in ag country where the fields are on top and the woods are in the small intermittent creek drainages in the bottoms? 
I'll be the first to say, I don't have a ton of experience hunting anything like that. Uh, I would, I think that our recent episode with Corey Brown, hundred percent, that's what I was gonna say, for sure relate to this. So if you haven't heard that, I think it's episode five twenty six. Uh, go listen to that because he, we're talking about hunting those smaller uh, creek drainages. Uh, it's not it's not quite ag country per se. It's not like bean fields and stuff. He's hunting more cattle country, but I think the same principles apply. Uh, so I would go listen to that episode and refer back to that. But yeah. I don't. I just don't have really any experience hunting in that. No, I haven't either. I mean, yeah, episode five twenty six with Corey Brown is is what I would look at for that aspect. Um, and more than likely, depending on the time of year, you're going to be hunting that. You know, observation sits are going to be a big part. And again, Corey talked about that. So yeah, just I would listen to episode five twenty six. All right. This is from Jacob McBride. He uh, actually messaged us on Instagram originally, and uh, and I told him to write in with an actual Q&A on the show. Uh, he said, hey, I'm the guy with 7,000 acres wondering. So, backstory, he's got like 7,000 acres of like primo land here in Alabama that like nobody else is hunting. Uh, I can't remember exactly how he, he came onto this property. Do you marry into the family? Is there another daughter I could marry into? Jeez, dude. <laughs> yeah. Do you have any options for Jacob? Yeah. He's got a sweet set. Yeah, Jacob. Hook, All right. hook Jacob up. He said, uh, I'm the guy with 7,000 acres wondering what the most efficient way to hunt the property is. Only five or six people hunt it, and I've killed nice deer, but I feel like I'm always too scattered out across the property. We have 82 food plots and all kinds of creeks and bottoms, and just wanted more info on how maybe to dial in on some of the nicer deer and kill them more consistent, whether I should stay spread out or try to dial in on one or a couple hundred of acres. I, what I would do if I was blessed with your situation. Oh my God. I can't imagine. Oh my God. That'd be amazing. I would, I would, I would cast a wide net and find a, a deer that I want to go after and then narrow down on that deer. Cause there's probably some freaking studs on that property. There's well, do you know probably, what, do you know what County it's in? I, God, I think it might be like kind of, uh, black belt area oh my god yeah, yeah. oh my god yeah, hey, hey, J- jacob i don't know what your guest policy is but listen dude if you need somebody yeah you hey, come if, out there hit if, us uh, up yeah uh, we, we got if, we got some free time this if, fall. if y'all want some, we'll make some time. if y'all want some does killed dude I'll, listen I'll, we're, we're, your, we're your guys um, i would look those food plots probably be a pretty good place to start yeah, if there's you know. 50, if there's 82 food plots and there's only five or six people to hunt it yeah there's I, gotta be some food plots that don't get pressured and like we always talk kind of down about food plots because typically it's about like more pressured properties or public land. But like if there's that little pressure, mm-hmm. there's going to be bucks using them during daylight, especially the ones that just don't get as much pressure, especially if it's like harder to get back into. You can't take a four wheeler back in there real easy or a truck yeah. back in there. Like there's going to be something, you know, of like that, that you're probably going to have some deer using. But yeah, I mean, like the pressure, like even if it, there's only five or six people, like, man, it'd be hard for five or six people to put a lot of pressure on 7,000 acres. But man, like targeting a buck, I feel like I would go out there with like all the trail cameras that I have and I would put, I'd start putting them on the food plots that looked the best. And I would put cameras on the food plots and just see if you get them, even if they're at make, night. And make mock scrapes on your food plots. Yeah, make mock scrapes. Or if, if you don't have a lot of trail cameras, maybe, you know, if you only have a couple, put some out. Or if you don't have any, go look for tracks in those food plots. Also, I'd be identifying your different doe groups on that property. If you have that much property and you're going to have a bunch of different doe groups all over it, I don't know what the habitat's like, but you're talking about a bunch of creek drainages and stuff like that. I would truly try to hone in on where your does are spending a lot of time and try to get them yeah. on a camera. Because your rut's probably going to be later in January if it is down in the Black Belt. Yeah. Um, and, and then focus on the best terrain features. And if it's more kind of flat land, uh, you know, I'm thinking about the Black Belt, a lot more flat land, very little topography change. 
where you just have some really good thickets, especially if you maybe have cedars on the property or something like that, that deer are really going to hold up in during the rut. Um, and, and really trying to capitalize on some of these different paths of travel, especially if you're able to go out during gun season, if it isn't like a, a bow only lease or something like that. Um, and just target your different doe groups. And again, travel quarters that go in between them. And especially on a property like that, if you got some, whether it's power lines, gas lines, um, long road beds that you can sit in between thickets, uh, again, specifically gun hunting. I mean, you could have some unbelievable hunts like that if you can figure out where the where different doe groups are, you know, mm-hmm. kind of placed at. Yeah. And how you can kind of watch a straightaway going in between them, uh, and be able to kind of get an opportunity at a good buck. Yeah, I mean, this is totally a place where I would I would try to locate a target buck because man, there's probably a giant deer on that property if it's that low of pressure. Oh, chills. And because I remember, I think yeah. he might have sent me like a picture of the map it might i can't remember if it was him or someone else of like where it, it looks so good i was like oh my gosh dude Whew. that's a uh, that's pretty nice but yeah i would i would try to locate a target buck and and you could like hop around but seven thousand acres is a huge area and i would i would, this is like for real where i would try to locate either some bucks that i wanted to to go kill mm-hmm. like a specifically like a large buck i want to go kill or just an area that maybe had a lot of bucks in it or, or just an area that I really liked. I would I would kind of hone in on certain areas. Now, to go about finding that deer, also, when you're looking at the map, trying to find the most diverse habitat on that property. Yeah, that's what I would do. So, like, where you had the most habitat, different habitat edges come together. So, like, and, you know, a, a classic example for us, if, you know, it's probably not how your property sets up, but if you're, like, in hill country and it's a bunch of logging activity where you have two or three or four different age clear cuts kind of all coming together in a certain spot. You have a hardwood drainage or hardwood SMZ that runs through it. Areas like that is a great place to put trail cameras at. Again, implement mock scrapes um, and just try to get inventory of different bucks in those areas and, and kind of capitalize on it because, dude, you're in a unbelievable Dream scenario. Like, dream scenario. Like, yeah, like, yeah. Super, God. super, super awesome. Man, I, I really hope that, uh, Jacob, you write in. Wait, what was his name? Was it Jacob? Uh, yes, Jacob. I hope you. Uh, I hope you write in and let us know how you end up doing this season because I'm very curious to to hear how you do. But I, that's man. I would I would break it down into a bite sized chunk. I'd pick a pick an area and and really hone in it because because if you're killing good deer right now, I don't know what you're calling a like a good deer, but uh, I don't know. There's probably bigger deer than what you're killing on the property, uh, you know, like live out. Not that sounded bad. No, no, I just sorry, I just did some calculation, dude. If this is a lease and it's like any average lease, dude, that is because I mean the way he wrote the question, it sounds like he thinks there's bigger deer out there. So like all I'm saying is like if you're bouncing around and you're killing good deer, just imagine if you really drill down on a property, you could probably kill great deer. If you yeah. really drill down on an area where one of those great deer lives, that that cream of the crop, top one percent. What would be a good podcast episode to recommend for that? Oh man, I don't know. Like for that specific situation, I feel like you could take uh, I, Richard s- Manry. Richard Manry would be a good one, I think. Okay, I was, I was thinking Josh Driver too. Yeah, episode one forty one with Josh Driver. Or the new one is it five ten or five hundred? Yeah, I think it's five twelve. I think. Uh, let's look. It's on YouTube. So, um, yeah, I think it's like five twelve. We did an episode with Josh Driver. Uh, originally, it was episode one forty one. Definitely listen to that one. And then with Richard Manry, uh, that is episode four sixty four. That'd be a good one to listen to as well. Uh, so yeah, right in. Want to see how it goes? Um, all right, we got some reviews from Apple Podcasts. Appreciate everybody writing in new reviews. 
Uh, we love reading them every week, and we try to read off new ones every single outro. Yeah, guys, um, hey, listen, if you have success having, you know, using tips and tactics from the podcast from different podcast guests, not only write in a listener success story, which we're getting in a ton of those every single week from you guys, and again, that link's down in the show notes as well and on the YouTube channel, so you can actually go and actually click that link and fill out your listener success form. But also, if you have success... Definitely go leave us a five star review, man. Mm-hmm. Like we would love to hear about it and talking about a little bit more about you know those episodes that really were impactful for you. But we got our first one up for this week. All right, this is from Pastor Nolan. Uh, he said, "Finding legit feed trees, five stars." When I first found the feed tree, I thought I was going to see nothing but turkey because the ground had been scratched and leaves had been moved around. Almost didn't check my trail camera. That's how bad I didn't want to be let down. <laughs> but the droppings on the ground gave me hope that it was deer. Glad to hear I'm not the only one who that was uh, notices the ground being tore up when looking for and finding feed trees. So, yep, that's a that's a reference back I think to episode five ten with Rick Cope. Uh, excellent episode on finding feed trees. If you guys haven't heard that one yet. All right, so this is our, our next review. This is from Matt Denny, zero seven, um, titled "Started Listening a Couple Months Ago and I'm Hooked." Five stars. Recently moved back to Alabama after a little over a decade in the military. So happy to have hunting have a hunting podcast that's based in my home state. I grew up hunting on clubs from Warehouser land close to Tuscaloosa, but I fell in love with the public land when I was stationed in South Carolina. I plan on chasing deer in blank this season with my bow with a <laughs> 50 cal muzzleloader. Named an area. Uh, or actually 50 cal Air Force air rifle? What is that? It's an air rifle. Air Force air rifle. Is that, air like, Force is that, is that military issued? <laughs> no. <laughs> uh, still early in the season. Oh, still early in the season, but the feed tree episodes uh, in this week's episode with uh, Jason Red are going to play a huge part in my season this year. Looking forward to finding a lot of white oaks on north-facing slopes in the coming weeks. Keep it up. Definitely my current favorite podcast, Matt Denny. Appreciate it, Matt. Um, all right, dude. So we got a, we got a lot coming up here um, over the next couple of weeks. We're gonna be going to Arkansas. We got a bunch of really good podcasts lined up that are gonna be coming out. So I'm excited, man. Yep. Favorite time of year. Absolutely. So appreciate y'all again listening. Appreciate y'all watching on YouTube. And uh, again, appreciate everybody that's been buying some Southern Outdoorsman merch. Got again a bunch of hats still available. Uh, still have some t-shirts available. So again, as we're getting into November, guys, if you want any Southern Outdoorsman merchandise, go on ahead and purchase it. You can get down the sh- uh, show link uh, or the show notes below by the link. And also, Andrew's already mentioned if you kill a deer uh, and write in a listener success story, and you're wearing some Southern Outdoorsman apparel, whether it's a hat or a shirt, we're gonna send you a little goodie, a uh, little goodie bag, a little uh, little gift. Yep. I don't know. Box, whatever, sent over to you uh, for uh, again wearing some Southern Outdoorsman uh, apparel in your uh, listener success story photos. So appreciate the support, guys. Appreciate y'all watching. Appreciate y'all listening. And we're going to catch you back here on next week's episode from the Southern Outdoorsman podcast. And remember, y'all stay Southern. All right, guys, we're starting to get kind of close to summer here. And you know what my favorite part about summer is? The Mobile Hunters Expo. Y'all heard us talk about it a lot last year, and we actually got to meet a lot of you guys at that expo. Well, we're excited to announce we're going to be there again. This time it's going to be in Dalton, Georgia, June 28th through June 30th. We are going to be there all three days. We're going to have a bunch of past podcast guests there. We're going to have a booth where you can come by and grab some merchandise. And I'm sure we're going to be recording all kinds of podcasts there. If you're unfamiliar, the Mobile Hunters Expo is the place you need 
need to be. If you are the kind of hunter that listens to this podcast, this show was literally made for you. It is an excellent group of people that are going to be there. A lot of whitetail killers from around the Southeast are going to be there. You're going to get to talk to them, shake their hand, learn from them in person, make some connections. And guys, we get a lot of questions about Hey, which saddle should I get? Which tree stand should I get? What about this piece of gear? What about that piece of gear? How do I meet other hunters who want to hunt the same way that I do? You know, finding a good hunting buddy. The Mobile Hunters Expo is a place for all of that. So you guys don't miss it. June 28th through the 30th, Dalton, Georgia. We'll see you there.